0: And I will add my amen to that. Pour out our praise to the Lord. There's coming a day. Whoops, this is intertwined. There's coming a day when we will all be gathered around his throne where he sits right now. Thank you. Where he sits right now. He is in control of everything in this world. And we can rest in him. And he wants us to know him and to live in light of his glory. Some of the songs we were singing earlier have so much to do with our passage this morning. And as I was singing those songs, I was realizing that all of us were probably singing them in faith, that we really believe God is everything we need, because the reality of our lives, that's not always true. But we're going to find in our passage this morning that God calls us to that. So let's open up our Bibles and turn to Luke. We're going to be towards the end of chapter 10 I want to just make one more announcement. There's a save the date in your bulletin. We're going to have some supper groups on Sunday, November 20th, instead of meeting in the life groups. And we're going to invite everyone in the church to be a part of this. And more information is going to come on that. But we'd like you to save the date, November 20th, for that. I also want to comment that Last week or the week before, sometime, I got together with Mark Comstock, and we ought to be really grateful that we have a man like this who is watching over our finances It's very rare that I have been able to sit with a finance person who, as they look over the church finances, really I saw three goals in his life: to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, to be extremely responsible for our finances but to be ministry-minded. He's got a vision for the future, and Mark, I'm really grateful that you're watching over our finances like that, and that's just beautiful. And then it was just so beautiful to watch the Kenzels just a moment ago, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen a missionary couple be sent off with that kind of passion for the church that they'd been a part of for a year. I mean, that was just beautiful to see that and obviously you have loved them well and they've loved you well and we need to be praying for them in the days ahead it's it can be difficult living in another culture but it's also a great excitement to be a part of what God is doing around the world i just came back uh, from thailand this is a gathering it was over 200 mission leaders around the world from 40 different countries who were gathered here and they come together. I get together and we get together in different subgroups, and I meet with educators from around the world. How can we share resources to complete the Great Commission? I also meet with a group called the Ideological Challenge of Islam. Islam is a dominant force in this world today, and it's not like we want to fight against it, but we want to be prepared um, to meet Islam with the gospel. And in the United States of America, we've got to start waking up to this. We need to be prepared. Um, to take the gospel to those who need to hear, and that's going to be continuing to grow. And so this is a group of people around the world who are trying to join together in what it means to prepare the church so that we can be adequately prepared to actually meet the challenge of Islam in the days ahead. But it's all the meetings on the side that are just amazing. This would be a Hebrews 11 hall of faith gathering. You, You meet with these people and you hear about what they're doing and what God is doing through them, it's absolutely amazing. God is doing amazing things in the world right now. The gospel continues to reach unreached people groups. The number of unreached people groups, unengaged people groups is going down all the time. We've got business people who are financing it. We've got um, people from different countries who are wanting to reach out to the unreached that are still in their country. It's amazing to hear what God is doing, even with the persecution that's mounting around the world and there's a lot of suffering there to hear those stories is is heart wrenching as well sometimes you just want to walk out of a session and just go and just weep uh, because you hear of what's happening but god is at work and god wants us to know him god wants us to be a part of what he's doing in the world and that's why we gather together week after week because we can get just torn away from what god is doing we can become distracted with what god is doing and we gather together with god's people and we remind ourselves This is who we are. This is what we're all about. Whether we're here in La Habra or in Quito, Ecuador, wherever we might be, we are in this together. And we remind ourselves that. We encourage one another, draw comfort from that. And so that's why we are here this morning. And we have this passage here this morning. In Luke chapter 10, in verses 38 to 42. Let me read this passage. And then let's pray and ask God to teach us in this time. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that in this time, you would use this passage to teach us, to enrich our hearts, to draw us close to you. And Lord, you know the needs of our hearts all around this room, and we pray that you would meet us right there in our place of need today, that your word would be alive and powerful, that our hearts would be open and receptive, and that you would do a work in each one of us. Lord, make us more like yourself. Draw us deeper into the work that you're doing in this world. Help us to trust you more. Help us to love you more deeply as we go through this time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, this is an interesting passage, isn't it? Would you think as I read this passage? Oftentimes, we immediately want to move to a spiritual application instead of let this be a real-life situation. I guarantee there's many homes represented here this morning who have experienced what happens in this scene right here. A little bit of sibling rivalry. That's not fair. I had to do the vacuuming last week. Why does she always get to do the dusting? He only took out the garbage. I had to dry the dishes. I mean, all these kinds of things that can go on. What mom has not felt? Why do I have to do all of this? Who do you think I am? The slave of the house? I mean, this, this is a real life story. And I don't want us to lose that. Jesus uses it to make a spiritual application. But you don't want to lose the earthy scene that's taking place here. If we miss that, we're actually going to miss the point of what's going on. We're going to make Jesus say more than what he's actually saying. And we don't want to make him say more than what he's actually saying. What Martha is doing is, is important. Someone has to cook. Someone's got to clean up. Someone's got to make sure. I mean, Jesus is not saying that's not important. What he's trying to do is show us something that is important. So you can see the title that I have this morning, Service at a great cost, and I slash that out and put loss. Because oftentimes we think of the energy that service requires, but if we make it all about doing, there's a great loss that's going to be there. And I hope this passage will help us understand that just a little bit. Jesus doesn't take sides in this situation. The point of this passage is not, are you a Mary or a Martha? Let's just divide you up. Martha's over here, Mary's over here. That's not going to be the point of the passage either. In fact, if you look at surveys about the Christian life, and when I consider many discussions that I've had with people throughout the years, just opening up about their life in Christ, I think fewer and fewer people would have a Mary problem, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in his person, Jesus, the priority of her life at that moment. The point of the story drives home the fact that we are either a distracted Martha serving back in the kitchen without loving Jesus first and foremost, or we are even worse, distracted by Facebook, by making money, by our cell phones, by TVs, by getting a six-pack. I've given that up. I have a two-liter now. (laughs) But getting a six-pack, surfing the net, whatever it might be, various worldly lusts, you can fill in the blank, but we're distracted from the one we need to be attending to. The point that Jesus wants to make in that Luke is trying to make clear, we're in a, a section of Luke that continues to bring home this point is that Jesus is to be the priority of our passion. He's to be the, the priority of our affections. And it's not that what Martha's doing is not good, but our service is to flow out of our love for him. It's not to be a replacement of our love for him or a proof of our love for him. It's to flow out of our love for him. When I first... Realized that I was going to be preaching this passage. Again, I had that same thought I had a few weeks back. I'm the last person that I'd be preaching this passage. God's been taking me on a journey in my own life in the last year and a half where I've had to face some things about me. I've always eagerly served. My wife, it drives her crazy. If you give me one responsibility, I'll turn it into ten and I just pour myself into it. It's really hard for me just to focus in on one thing. i got my life at Biola. I've got my life in the church. i got my life traveling around the world with missions. And I love all of them. I get sucked into all these things. I mean, I just 100% constantly. And so when you look at my life, you can think, wow, Dave's really dedicated to the Lord. And I've had to start facing some things about myself. Maybe I'm more dedicated to doing than I am to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Joni especially would be bothered when I would go on vacations and I would just transfer my context. All of my passions now were in something else. And my mom and dad, when I go home, they have a lot of things to do with their house and the to-do list can get quite long. And I just pour my life into it and I would just wear myself out and I add to the to-do list and I just get all these things done. I want their house to be perfect before I leave. And she says, just relax, read a book, sit on the front porch drink a cup of coffee, take a nap. And my thought is, yeah, my thought is, why? There's so much to be done. And so I've been doing a little bit of soul searching in the the last year and a half. I read through a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And I followed that up with a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And I had to start facing some things about me one of the things is what's called every leader needs to face their shadow. What's a shadow? Well, I had to learn about what my shadow is. And I would use these words right here. My shadow, which oftentimes I serve out of. This is the point I want you to get. I oftentimes serve out, serve out of, not of a love for Jesus, but out of my own shadow. And my own shadow, I'd put it like this, is, where did I have this? I want to I say it very clearly. It's the fear of incompetency. My belief comes this, if I just work hard enough and stay one step ahead of everyone around me, they'll never find out I really don't have what it takes to do what I'm doing. Does that make sense to you? And oftentimes my service comes out of that. I try to stay a step ahead of people, be the problem solver, try to see the problem before people even know it's there and come up with a solution before they even know it existed. And people have leaned on me for that throughout the years. So what do people around me do? They encourage it. Dave, go for it. We're so glad you're here, Dave. Do it. And the whole time, it's this fear of incompetency inside of me. It's not the advance of the kingdom. It's not to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, but it can be my shadow that I'm constantly running from. Now, has God used that? Yes. God can use that. Are all of my motives bad? No. No. Do I want to see Jesus exalted? Exactly. Yes, I do. But oftentimes I can be so um, gripped by my shadow and so um, controlled by my shadow that when I wake up in the morning, what I want to do, as soon as my feet hit the floor, I'm running. Why? I don't want anyone to catch me. Because if they catch me, then they'll know. Dave, stay on top of it. It's not it's not unheard of to get an email from me at two in the morning. Because my mind is just going. And I'm not praising any of that today. I'm saying this passage is a passage I have a lot to learn from. And I think you do too. I don't think I'm alone in this particular um, things that I need to learn from this passage. Oftentimes, what we see as a serious Christian is one who's all in and passionately devoted and giving tireless hours to ministry. And we applaud that and the church needs that even But what I want us to understand is Jesus is not saying, don't do that. He's not saying, don't give yourself to the kingdom. Don't give yourself to the great commission. Don't give yourself to the building up of the church. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying, though, however, that whatever it is we're doing needs to come out of a love for him. It needs to flow out of knowing him first and foremost. It needs to flow out of making him the priority in your life. It needs to be loving Jesus and then serving him. So Jesus is not saying don't do that because he calls us to lay down our lives. Instead he's saying saying this, don't neglect loving me. That becomes first thing. Is loving me and spending me. Think back to John 15. I'm the vine. You are the branches. You can't do anything if you're disconnected from me. You've got to know me. You've got to love me. You've got to be connected to me. And so in this context of Luke right here, we're going through these different um, passages where we're seeing a little bit more about intimacy. Intimacy with others. That was last week. Loving your neighbor. Jesus has been raised with this particular question of believer's responsibility back in chapter 10. In verse 27, the question was asked him. It says there, "What is it, what, um, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord and love your neighbor. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the man says, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus goes on and talks about what it means to love and care for people around us. It's the one in need. Don't overlook that person. And then we get into our passage today that highlights that our service to those around us, as we love people who are in need, we need to recognize that this is to be grounded in and flow from our love for Jesus. It's got to get back to Jesus all the time. And then even next week... When we get into this passage on prayer, it's going to stress that one way this love for our Lord is evidence is in the recognition of our dependency on him. We we come before our Father who art in heaven and, and Jesus teaches his disciples some of what it means to pray. Dependency on a good and a gracious God who we can look to for provision in regular prayer. Each passage in many ways is emphasizing the simplicity of the Christian life. What it all boils down to is, do you know and love Jesus? Not just to give the Sunday school answer for that, but that your everyday life actually gives evidence to the fact that you know and you love him. And I want us to work our way through this passage. Look at my first point up here. There are two main characters who are described. And I want us to look at each one of these characters. In chapter 10, verse 38... Uh, we see, who is Martha? Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, so here she is. Martha's the one who greets at the door. I mean, Jesus feels welcomed. If it, you know, Martha's that person who brings Jesus in, and he feels welcomed. Hospitality at its finest, and this is necessary. I don't want us to miss this. Jesus isn't saying, I wish you would have ignored me when I came in. No, we need Martha. We need her desire to be hospitable, to be welcoming. But what's the problem? Well, we find that down in verse 40, where it also says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. So in her service, in her desire to be hospitable, there's a distraction element to it. That's the problem. I imagine that all of us have been to someone's house where the host or the hostess, whoever it might be that's making all the preparations, they are so busy with all the details of everything that's going on, they miss the fact that people are actually there. It's all the hard work leading up to it. It's the table that's set exactly the way it's supposed to be set. It's the serving everything in the exact way that's supposed to be served. It's constantly making sure that glasses are filled with water. Getting the dessert out there, making sure coffee's made. All the energy and then all the people left. And that person has never even been able to have a legitimate conversation with someone who is there. That's Martha. Martha. And that's what Jesus is going to try to point out into this particular story. Well, who is Mary? Well, we see down in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. So here's Martha. She's scurrying around making sure everything's set proper, making sure everything's rolling right. And there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus just taking it all in. Now, let's be honest. Get rid of the spiritual application of this. We read this story and we say Mary's a slacker. If we also read this story and we're honest, Jesus is a slacker too. The two of them sitting there, and Martha's back in the back doing all this work, and they're going to eat, and they're going to enjoy it, but they're just sitting there, just talking. I mean, you might even have problems with Jesus in this particular passage. Come on, Jesus, get up. Be a man. Go help out. I mean, do something. Martha's in the back, and we don't want to lose all of that. But this one fe- scene right here should not define Mary completely. And it should not define Martha completely. This is an event that's taking place. And Martha took a particular route. And Jesus uses this moment to make a point. I think a point we all need to hear. But let's look at the next point. What is Martha's complaint about Mary? I think all of us understand this complaint but Martha was distracted with much serving, verse 40. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. It's interesting to me that she doesn't go up to Mary and say something. Sis, do you think I could handle this all by myself? Could you get back here and help me? It's Jesus, don't you care? See, Martha doesn't just have a problem with Mary. She actually has a problem with Jesus as well. She's doing all the work. Doesn't Jesus care about this? Kind of a weird question to ask Jesus. Don't you care? Well, yeah, he's getting ready to lay down his life for you. But the fact that we have a little sibling rivalry just really makes this interesting. Martha's perspective is she's the only one being responsible in the house. She's the only one being considerate in the house. Mary's neglecting her responsibility. Jesus even lacks concern for her. She's probably wiping sweat off the brow of her forehead. What home has not seen this kind of complaint? In fact, we could just kind of peel away the layers of her home right now. We'd probably each come up with some kind of scene like this that happened in our last week. This is real life here. Well, how does Jesus compliment Mary? In verses 40 and 41, he he's looking at what's going on in front of him and he wants to make a point, a point I think we all need to hear, but Jesus answered her. He didn't say, "Yes, I care. We'll come help you." He said, "Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion." which will not be taken away from her. And I want us to understand, again, Jesus is not saying, Martha, you're doing things that are unnecessary. He says you're anxious and you're bothered by them. Earlier it had said that she's distracted by these things. And he says, Mary has chosen the good part, the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing that's really necessary. And Mary's taken that particular route. Martha is worried and bothered and distracted. And all of these imply that she's missing the point. These are not unnecessary realities. But as she executes these realities, she's missing the point. There's got to be more to her service. And so when we we hear about facts like 10% of people in the church do 90% of the work, Part of us wants to fight back a little bit on stories like this. Part of us want to justify Martha. Well, someone's got to do the work. Some of you maybe even want to poke your spouse right now and say, listen to Jesus. You're doing way too much in the church right now. Slow down. Let someone else do something. Some of you may have felt like, wow, I finally found the biblical reason. I'm resigning from the set-up, tear-down crew. Because I need to fit, sit at the feet of Jesus at this point. You see, we can misuse the Bible, and we can even misuse the, mis, or miss the point of this particular passage. Again, I want to underscore: Jesus is not saying, quit laying down your life for the gospel. He's saying, don't neglect me. And so how are we to understand this? There is such thing. I heard the term many years ago. There is such thing as a good weariness. There is such thing as a a good, tireless laboring for the Lord. For us to get the gospel to the world is going to take great sacrifice. It's going to take financial commitments. It's going to take the exertion of physical energy. It's going to take hours of strategizing. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work to do what God has called us to do in this world. And Jesus is not saying don't do those kinds of things. He's saying don't neglect the number one thing. So let's notice this. Number one, Jesus does not deny Martha's selfless service. His point is priority. I've got a fishing trip coming up at the end of, Columbia, uh, the end of uh, November to go to Colombia. And I, this, I think, is going to be my fourth time to go there. And so I was talking to Joni about it. My brother really wanted to go again. and So I was talking with her, and she says, it's not necessary. Okay. Well, that's not a good argument. There's a lot of things in life that are not necessary. Is it necessary to eat lunch today? Is it necessary to take a shower? Is it necessary to put on deodorant? I mean, is it really necessary to do all of those things? So Joni and I are going back and forth. But really what Joni is saying is, does that need to be your priority right now? And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not that these things are unnecessary, but does that need to be your priority? priority right now don't be distracted from me at the end what do you have okay so you served a meal you ate the meal you cleaned up the dishes and you missed me and in our lives we can be distracted from loving God with our service in the church or we can be distracted from loving God because we're distracted by the world and at the end of our life what do we really have at that point i've been gripped by this probably the last decade of my life, coming to a point of realizing when I meet Jesus face-to-face for the first time, I want to know Him. I want to know Him already. I want to already love Him. And how do we foster that? How do we cultivate that in our life? And how do we make sure that we're not missing out on that priority? There's also a larger principle that I think we could find. The first principle is um, Jesus did not deny Mary's selfless service. But also look at Mark chapter 14 in verses 3 through 9. There's a larger principle here that I think we can look at that helps us. This is where Jesus makes a similar statement in Mark 14 verse 3. He says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table... A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and she's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done with will be told in memory of her. See, Jesus is not saying, ah, forget the poor. Pour the ointment on me. Anybody else got ointment? Bring it. Forget the poor. Pour it on me. No, Jesus is saying about priority. Yes, yes, take care of the poor. Yes, you're going to have lots of opportunities to do that. But right now, this is about priority. It's about worship. It's about preparing me for my burial. And I think we've got that larger principle here, too. Oh, do all these things need to be done? Yes, but don't miss the opportunity to spend time with me is what Jesus is saying. And so I think we could put it this way, as we have on this next slide. It says, the point of the passage is not to serve less. It's to love more. Our service is to flow out of our love. And some of you are thinking, ah, one more thing on my to-do list. I can't serve less, but i got to love more. Got to add one more thing on there. No, that's not the point of this passage either. The point of this passage is for our love, our our love to be the foundation and that from which our service flows. How much we serve, how we serve, that's a completely different issue. This passage is not dealing with that at all. This passage is focused on this one thing of do you love Jesus? If Jesus were here this morning, he might say, but do you know me? Do you love me? And so our focus here is not on how we serve, how much we serve, when we serve, where we serve. It's do we love? So what lessons can we learn from this particular passage in this story, I think the lesson is simple. That's why we quickly leave the everyday realities of it and quickly jump to the spiritual message of it. It's, it's fairly simple. Jesus is to be more important than preparing an elaborate meal. Meal. Jesus is to be more important than you know, other things that could distract us in this world. He is to be our priority. But what does this have to do with us? Let me draw out three points that I think... You just need to decide where you're at and which one most affects you. But number one would be this. Jesus is to be our priority over anything in this world. Again, it's not that things in this world are unnecessary. Should you sleep? Yes. Should you eat? Yes. Do you need to go to work, school, whatever it might be? Yes. Do you need to clean up after the dog in the backyard? Yes. Whatever it might be, all those things are important. Does that pile of wash need to be done? Yes. But Jesus is to be our priority over anything in this world. It illustrates, the story does, that responding to Jesus is to be our priority over worldly concerns, period. We can get so caught up in maintaining our earthly lifestyle. We can get so many toys in our lives that it consumes all of our energy just to clean them all, take care of them all. Maintain them all. We can get so caught up by entertaining ourselves with the latest fashion or the newest gadget. Our iPhones can just absolutely fascinate us and draw all of our attention. Jesus is to have a priority. We are supposed to be living day by day for the greater purposes of what God is doing in this world, and it's so easy for us to get distracted. Our kids in sports programs... Our kids' academic pursuits can become everything for us. And we miss being a part of what God's doing. Climbing the corporate ladder, everything for us. And we miss what God is doing in this world. So one lesson that we learn is maybe it's the world that is distracting us and we're not spending that time with and loving Jesus. But a second lesson we could learn could be this. Our outward ministry should flow out of inward devotion. And that's my own personal story that I was telling you about earlier, about my own life. This is where this particular story lands for me. Outward ministry, all the things that we do for the Lord are not just to be getting things done or in my case, running from my shadow. If I don't stay a step ahead of people and work harder than anybody else, they're going to find out I'm not really competent. I don't belong in doing what I'm doing. So I've got to figure out the problem and the solution before they even know the problem exists. And it can drive me. And people can applaud that because I I get a lot done. And it can feed that inside of me. But all this ministry is to flow out of a devotion for the Lord. And so this story again reminds us that ministry activity even can prevent us from more important endeavors, endeavors like taking time to spend time with Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said to Marley, you're distracted. You're worried. You're bothered. Mary's chosen the best thing. And so we don't want to lose that in our lives We need to be spending time with Jesus. The Word needs to be getting into our hearts. It needs to be transforming our minds. We've got to sit before the Lord. It's not just a verse a day keeps the devil away. We've got to get into the Word, and it's got to marinate in our hearts. It's not just, okay, three verses. I did my Christian thing, and now I'm on my way. Or, hey, I'm multitasking now. I listen to the Bible while I drive. Can, that, can all those things be good? Yes. If, if all you get is three verses, do your Christian duty and take off, well, do it. At least do that. If all you get is reading the Bible while you're trying to drive at the same time, good. Not reading your Bible, listening to the Bible <laughs> while you're trying to drive, good. But we've got to find time where we sit at the feet of Jesus. And we allow his word just to sing. It's just us and him. And I don't know what it's like for you, but that's a battle for me because my mind goes here and my mind goes there, and it takes incredible discipline for me to continue to love Jesus and to sit before him, sing praise songs to him, whatever it means. Bible study and prayer, Jesus saying, your ministry outwardly is to flow out of an inward devotion. Don't miss the good thing. But a third point that we might draw out of this passage is really pulling it all together. We must intentionally and diligently grow our relationship with Jesus. We all know, if we've been a part of the church for a while, it's not rocket science. You've got to stay connected to the vine. We all know what that means. We know what spiritual disciplines are. We know we should read our Bible more and pray more and share the gospel more. We know all these things but every week we gather together to remind ourselves of these things and every now and then we run across a story in the bible that really drives that point home and that's what jesus wants us to hear this morning is the basics you need to be developing a relationship with jesus and that means carving out time our son is in love really in love the kind of love that's going to go somewhere. We're looking forward to that day. And my wife recently said, why do they have to spend all this time together? He needs to sleep. Now, is she right? Yeah, he does. He needs to sleep. We keep thinking, you see each other all the time. Just say goodnight and get some sleep. Study. you got to finish school. Well, my wife is right and she's wrong. She forgets when we were in love. And so I remind her. I mean, I would call her up. Hey, what are you doing tonight, Joni? And she would say something like, well, I'm cleaning the toilets and scrubbing the grout in the bathtub. And I'd say, can I help you? I'd like to help. I just wanted to be with her. It didn't matter what she was doing. I mean, I, imagine, I think she just remembers her family probably wanted to kick me out of the house. It's like, well, here he comes again. Who is this guy? Because I wanted to be with her. Why? I wanted to know her. I loved her. How does that translate into Jesus? How does that translate into us wanting to know who Jesus is and wanting to continue to grow in our love for him? You see, I've often said that what we call spiritual disciplines really need to become spiritual passions where I'm not just disciplining myself to get up at 5.30 so I can read my Bible and pray and get on with my day, but I can't wait to get up at 5.30 to read my Bible and pray. I'm still waiting for that day to happen for me where disciplines become passions, but I think it's growing in me a little bit. But do we want Jesus more than anything? And so just bow your heads and close your eyes what does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? Right now, let's all take one minute and just sit in His presence. Talk to the Lord. Just focus completely on Him. Not where you're going for lunch, not whether this person likes you or not, or not whether you're, you're struggling in this area at work. Just one minute. All of us just sit, in, sit at Jesus' feet. Praise Him. Love Him. Talk to Him right now. Continuing with your heads bowed, just think for a moment, how easy was it for you to be distracted? How quickly did your mind drift to the whistles in the gymnasium or whatever it might have been? How difficult it is for you to just focus in on Jesus. And here's my challenge to you. Wherever you're at right now, do everything you can to grow it day by day. Can can we commit ourselves to sit at Jesus' feet, open up his word, spend time in prayer, grow in that, and let all of our ministry flow out of that? Lord, we pray that you would help us. And even corporately, we ask your forgiveness for the ways we quickly serve you and fail to love you. Lord, in my own life, you know the way I've agonized with this before you. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to get the point of this passage and that our love for you would grow. Lord, would you have mercy on us and grow a love for you in our hearts? Lord, I pray that you would just hound us all this week to be in your presence. Lord, please, I pray that you would grow that in this body of believers. Lord, we just give our lives to you and ask that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.